Hello, I'm Grayson Bolte, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. If you haven't already, please kindly take a moment to follow and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. On today's episode, I sat down with Michael C. Murphy, Chief Engineer, Cat Mindstar Solutions, Caterpillar Incorporated. Caterpillar operates over 380 autonomous trucks on three continents. It is the world's largest autonomous vehicle fleet. CAT's innovation to mining has already moved 3 billion tons of material, and they've only just begun. Michael, take us on the incredible CAT journey. Enjoy this episode. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm super excited to have you here because Caterpillar is cool. You make the coolest trucks in the world, and as a kid, I'd play with the little toys, and I'm super excited to, to speak to an individual that actually makes the big trucks, not the little toy trucks that I used to play with. I used to also play with, with uh, concrete mixes, small toys as well. So I think that's how I uh, decided to get it work for Caterpillar many, many years ago. Awesome. Well, that means that we're going to have an, a completely awesome conversation today. Michael, Caterpillar has been working on automation for over 25 years. This is around the same time I started playing with your toys. What has the company learned about automation over two plus decades of autonomous research and development? We actually started our autonomy journey back in the late 80s, early 90s. We actually had trucks uh, running at a quarry in, in Texas, at a crushstone quarry. And you think of that back in the 90s, you know, technology, what it was like compared to what we have today. Internet wasn't originally around. No one had an iPhone. No one even thought what an iPhone was like. So, you know, what we proved is back in those days, we actually could build an auto a autonomous truck and get it running. But... You know, we also learned a lot, and some of the lessons we learned from that was, firstly, the customers were not ready. Even though we could actually um, build an autonomous truck, customers at that stage were not ready. So we actually demonstrated those trucks at Mine Expo, which is one of the largest mining shows in the world, Las Vegas, in, in 1996, you know, which is going back many years ago now. But feedback was, at that stage, and we thought actually an autonomous truck would mean that we would need, not need to build a larger mining truck, a 400-ton mining truck. But customer feedback was that you know, they really did want a larger mining truck. So we sat back and said in the 1998 time frame, we know autonomy is going to be around. What do we need to do? What have we learned from the existing program? And the key lesson we learned from the existing program back in the, those 90s was that it's not just about building a truck. It's building all the systems it takes to support a truck, an autonomous truck, all the ecosystems, all the things around it. So back in that time frame, we actually sat down and developed a multi-year building block approach, put all the technologies that our customers could actually use on their journey to autonomy. So from 1998, actually through to going commercialization of the product in 2013, we spent most of that time working on these building blocks, the ecosystem that's critical to an autonomous truck. And then the other big lesson we learned besides the technology was that it's not just around the technology. Uh, and anyone who's ever been to one of my presentations knows that I always talk about three Ps, the people, the process, and the product. All of us get enamored with the technology, but if you really want a commercial success you have to focus on the people the change management how they behave around technology and automation and then the processes you don't just do things exactly the same way with autonomy you actually have an opportunity to significantly change your processes so 
there are some of the key lessons getting the making sure you at the customer requirements make sure you've got a customer business case and then making sure that when you do implement you focus on the three p's the people the process and the, and the products i love the caterpillar's three p approach to it i'm happy you mentioned the cell phone industry where the cell phone industry went from the big boxy car phone to the StarTac, the small phone and then eventually to the blackberry and to the iphone and things started getting smaller and you went the opposite direction you went from smaller trucks to to bigger trucks was that driven by your understanding of your customer having those interactions was that what drove that development approach the reason for larger mining trucks was that you know as time went on, when I first started with the company, uh, the biggest mining truck in the industry at that stage was 170 ton today capacity. Today it's 400 ton, and that was really driven by the need for you know shortage of labour, bigger mines, bigger capacity. So that drove the need for, for for larger trucks. Now, many of our customers, as they look at autonomy, view that actually that they actually may over a period of time go down in size on trucks. They're doing some they've done some analysis now. Yeah, we don't have a, a strong position one way or the other. Obviously, that's a customer decision. But customers have actually, you know, indicated that they actually may go smaller size trucks at some point in the future with autonomy. But it all goes back to is your understanding your customer and understanding the people approach. If the customer decides to go there, Caterpillar going to go there, which is a really smart, savvy business business mood. I love to know. So you're you're in the Caterpillar Labs. You're developing this technology. Then you commercialize it. How does Caterpillar approach autonomy and autonomous truck deployments as a whole? Just like your last point, we always start with what is the customer's business problem? What are they trying to solve? Because autonomy is not for everyone. They, it may be an easier way to solve their business problem or a different way. So we spend a lot of time working with the customer to fully understand what's the business problem, what's the outcome he's looking for out of, out of the business. So that's the start. Then we have a process which we use throughout Caterpillar called New Product, New Product Introduction, NPI. It's a formal process we use for machines and we have a digital version of that we use for our digital products, and which is a very formal process of development. And like any organization in this space, we have hardware and software. Our development, software development, hardware development actually takes place in multiple continents, right? So we have, I'm sitting here in Peoria, Illinois, where we have a large team. We have another large team sitting in Montreal. We have another team in Tucson that does a lot of testing for us. Um, we have then another team in Brisbane, Australia, which does a lot of the office software development, and a team, in soft, another software team in India. So we are a multi-continent development system, and we use MPI to bring it all together. Now, once we've got the product and we've developed it, we as you well know, all technology products, you want to test them before you get them to, out to a marketplace, to a customer. And so we have the traditional testing of hardware in the loop, software in the loop, testing that we have for autonomy. But that only picks up some of the software issues as we go through. So here, not far from where we sit today, another 10 miles north of us, we actually have a fleet of Chevy Tahoe's, automated Chevy Tahoe's. Um, probably the oldest uh, Chevy ta automated Tahoe's around. We've had them since the program started here in 2008 time frame. And we actually have our autonomous hardware on those t Chevy Tahoe's and we actually run the software and the hardware and test it. And the reason we use you know, a, a pickup or a, or a SUV like that is you know, we can do a lot quicker. It's a smaller test area. 
and we're not running burning a lot of diesel fuel to, to actually run, run and test our software. So that's part of our, our testing process. But that doesn't get you all the testing, all the real world. We then take it down to our Tucson proving grounds, which are in the desert uh, outside Tucson. We actually run the software. We have a fleet of large mining trucks and we run the software and we test it down there. And finally, we get it out to our customers and obviously closely monitor it when it gets out to our customers. Now, I will make a point. We can't test everything at Tucson. You, know, as you all know Tucson is in the desert. Uh, we don't get snow down there, rarely. No, I haven't been down there where it snowed. Uh, don't get minus 40 degree uh, temperatures down there. So we can only do a certain amount of testing there, but uh, it is a great test area to make sure before our products get out to the customers, we've, we've done a good job in terms of getting all the bugs out of the system. You've said a lot of things that I want to point out and commend and applaud Caterpillar because Montreal has some of the most incredible AI talent in the world. And so you have some incredible engineers with the university system there and the innovations that have come out of Montreal AI for software have been incredible. And I can't wait to see what innovations come out of the lab for Caterpillar that are going to improve your customers. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I just finished reading Alex Davies' Driven book. And there's a lot of similarities of what you're talking about with the desert and the Tahoe got me reminding me about the DARPA Grand Challenge. And one of the most famous Chevy Tahoes, in my opinion, the most famous, is the 2007 Chevy Tahoe known as the Boss, where Caterpillar worked with Carnegie Mellon on the 2007 DARPA Urban Challenge um, with the Carnegie Mellon Tartan Racing Team. How has your approach changed? Because you're taking very similar what they did on the on the original Grand Challenge, where they tested in the Northern California desert, and they built it in the labs. And then you're te- you're building in the labs, and you're testing in Tucson. There's a lot of similarities here. Did you learn a lot during that experience, getting involved with the Grand Challenge and the Urban Challenge? If you look at the DARPA challenges, they were fantastic in terms of innovation inside this country. It really, I think history will judge that as the birthplace of automation, especially around automotive automation. Um, as you said, we're actually weren't even just involved with Carnegie Mellon. We're actually involved with three teams that are working at DARPA. So we had a lot of inside information. The other thing that happened at the same time, and I talked earlier about how back in the 90s, you know, customers weren't ready for autonomy. At the same time around that, the 2007 time frame, what happened is the mining business was booming because of China. Places like Australia was extremely challenging to get workers. So as a result, the mining companies were looking very closely at what was happening at DARPA. And that, so they could see the technology was real. It was, it was capable of getting it done. And they could see that you know, the functionality they needed for mining was, was in the DARPA challenges. So lots of things came out of DARPA. Um, one thing was the Velodyne LiDAR, the spinning LiDAR that you see on many of the automotive. We actually use that on our, on our autonomous truck. And the way I look at the Velodyne LiDAR, or LiDAR in general, is it's like low beam or high beam on your headlights on your car. If you low beam, you can't drive very fast. You can't see very far down the road. LiDAR gives us the ability to run a lot faster, to go a lot further down the road and a lot quicker speed. So it was one of the big uh, innovations that came out of the DARPA challenges. And the other thing, of course, coming out of that, once the program was finished, we were actually started our second generation program. So we had a lot of engineering talent that was available to help us to design our systems and, and work through. So the DARPA challenge was that just timing was correct. The mining business was ready. Some new innovation came through and a lot of 
very talented engineers were available that we could leverage as we developed our program. And as they say in life, timing is everything and Caterpillar surely timed it right. Could you ever imagine back then that you would have 380 plus autonomous trucks operating on three continents today? It's a tough one. I'm not sure. I, as I look back at that, that point in time because, um, yeah, we were uh, started that program in, you know, just after it, late 2007. I remember working very closely with one of the large mining companies. Uh, we had a very uh, aggressive program. Uh, we knew where we wanted to get to. You know, I think we were so busy on, focused on execution. I don't think we spent enough time to think of actually exactly where we would end up. But, uh, you know, it is, it is great to, to see how many um, trucks we have that they're running and more importantly, our safety record around that truck. The, the big focus of our program has been safety and especially in, you know, from day one, just a tremendous amount of focus around safety from our system. So that was built in from day one as we actually started those programs. Is the safety, is it a culture? Since you're operating the largest autonomous vehicle fleet in the world, you're focused on safety. Is that a culture where it's ingrained in the culture that we prioritize safety? Yes, it's, it's built into Caterpillar's culture. It's built into our mining company, our customer's culture. Safety is the most number one thing in mining. It is critical. We're very safety conscious. Um, our customers are very safety conscious. So we build everything around around you know safety. Um, it, it's just critical. In actual fact, I sit on some external industry organisation, which very much focused on about you know how do we improve safety in the mining industry moving forward. And I want to point out for our listeners that cat autonomous trucks have hauled over three billion tons of material with a zero loss safety record. You know. It, how is this how is this possible in terms of the i break that into two elements the safety element is and it comes down to the three things we mentioned earlier the people the process as well as the technology right so if you think safety don't just always think the technology think of how you're going to manage the people and the processes so we have a tremendous amount of focus on those two just as much as on the technology so that's critical um and then we build multiple layers of safety into the system, into our systems. You know, we we've designed a system, lots of layers of safety, and tremendous amount of focus on that. And so the the other way we we manage to get the safety. Now, in terms of the productivity um, out of the system, that comes from if you think of a uh, our trucks run twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. So they've obviously got to stop for changing operators. They're going to stop for fuel. They're going to stop for uh, bathroom breaks, lunch breaks. So the way we've been able to get the productivity improvements on, on the machines is is literally by um, you eliminate many of those breaks out of out of the uh, out of the cycle. So you know you, you don't have a, a lunch break. The trucks just continue to work. Um, yes, you still have to fuel the trucks, but we manage fueling more like a Formula One pit stop. Now we can't do it in 30 seconds. <laughs> There's a lot of fuel to go on one of our trucks. But it's a very well rehearsed process, right? The trucks come in at exactly the right time. We've, we, we manage that with a lot of software. So when they when they actually are gonna have the right amount of fuel in the tank, not too much, not too little. So all those things you can manage with software to actually get the trucks to be a lot more productive over, over, the, over the cycle. So a lot of work goes into that. You've talked a lot about 
people and in Caterpillar's culture. And I want to point out that there's a mine in Western Australia that I read about that's had a really positive impact on the employees of that mine. They do no longer have to fly two weeks on, one week off. They're able to to spend more time with their family because they've implemented the Cat Mindstar command solution. Could you talk about that positive impact that it's had on the company and the employees of that company? Yeah, one of the things we talk about, uh, at least in our company and most mining companies, is work-life balance. How do you manage that? And most mines are in very remote locations. Iron ore mines in, in Western Australia, uh, literally, it's a two-hour flight to work, right? You get in up early in the morning, you catch a six o'clock flight, two-hour flight, and then you may spend two weeks on site, and maybe a week off uh, with your family. So you don't see your family for a significant period of time. So what, as we've uh, implemented autonomy over the last few years, and originally all the people were on site that were operating this system, but now, you know, these mines have high fiber, high speed fiber optic cable down to Perth, you know, a thousand miles away. And so they actually now sitting in offices in downtown Perth, they can uh, work a 12 hour day, for example, um, go home, see their families every night. In some cases, they split the shift and they'll actually have uh, a number of women who you know, don't want to spend the time, they've got young families, don't want to spend the time on site, be away from their families, can actually split a shift and actually can, can work out of their remote operational centers and, and manage the autonomous truck fleet. So it's changing how people approach mining. It's allowing mining companies to really work on this work-life balance. Obviously, during this COVID situation, it's been fantastic for them because what they've been able to do is, you know, if you had to fly all the people up to site, higher risk, you know, social distancing on the planes means a lot less people going to site. So in, in, in some instances, these mining companies have accelerated their plans to put in remote operation centres to actually run, run these mines. So it, it is a great example of how technology can significantly impact and improve people's work-life balance. And when you have happier employees, you have a more well-run company, which benefits shareholders and it benefits the family. It's just, it's a complete win-win solution. And it's really proud. It's like when I read about this, I was like, okay, Caterpillar is doing autonomy right. I, I love to know, so um, let's call me, I'm Acme Mine customer. And I call, hi, Michael, I, I own Acme Mine and I want to put a, autonomous trucks in my mine. How does that process work? If you're Acme Mining Company, first we would, and I mentioned it earlier, we'd sit down and, and work through what is the business problem you're trying to solve? You know, what do you want autonomy? And we sit down and work out what is it going to solve for you and your business? And then my, many of our customers have existing truck fleets. And so we actually work to actually convert their existing trucks to autonomy. And, you know, we've become very good at that. We've taken a lot of the processes we use to run our manufacturing operations and actually worked and deployed those processes actually on the mine site so we can convert a large mining truck, an existing mining truck to autonomy. So that's one of the other things we do. And we work for the customer to put in their radio network, their Wi-Fi network, the servers, and all the things it takes. But the big thing we do with the mining customers, we're just not delivering the technology to them. We actually have a run team, we call a run team, a group of people who know how to run the system. 
and how to set the mine up to optimize autonomy because this is not about just getting a vehicle to move a large mine truck is about optimizing tons of material move between point a and point b so we work with them very closely and we can because we have that experience we can give them the confidence and really help them they've obviously gone through a training program we have uh, virtual training we have simulation training less like you go through a, a flight simulator type training we have those in and around the world but this takes them to the next level. You've got someone holding the hand every day during the first part of the process to get the customer up and running. And we can give them confidence autonomy works. They quickly learn, and then our role moves from actually helping them get the machines and getting the technology up to more helping them optimize the productivity and the system. So that's why we do it. Um, it's a well thought through process that we've developed over many, many years to actually optimize the product, help the customers optimize the productivity and safety out of the out of the our autonomous mining system. You mentioned something neat. Do you convert you can convert some of the trucks for autonomy on the site at the mine? Yes. Wow. And we have other yeah, we have other customers who which we're just running now, brand new trucks come out of the factory as well. So uh, and the reason for that is large mining trucks may last, uh, have a life of, you know, uh, in the order of uh, 150,000 hours, which could be 20 years plus. So we have a number of our customers who have converted their existing, existing uh, trucks in, out there. You're building quality product because uh, mine is not exactly, you know, you know, walking around for sigh. It's a hostile environment with all sorts of interesting elements. I love to know in, the, in that hostile in, environment, how do you create a map? So you talked about laying the fiber network, the Wi-Fi, but and you mentioned Velodyne earlier. How do you create that map for the uh, the autonomous truck can see? You think of a mine as I think a lot of people think of a mine just a hole in the ground. They're actually very well engineered um, struck infrastructure, right? So there's when we first start, the customer will have mine planning software that will give them give them actually the location of the whole roads, and so we know that. But that's only just the start of it. What we'd use is uh, what we call a light vehicle, which is really a pickup truck. And just like some of the automotive people go out and map, we'd actually don't use cameras. We'll use high precision GPS on those pickup trucks. And that will actually tell us, you know, we'll go out there and map that. And then we'll feed that back into the software and that'll create the map. Now, the main haul roads in a mine um, maybe around for 5, 10, 15, sometimes 20 years, so they don't move too often. But, of course, the face, the material that's being moved, does move, and actually, so you've got to, how do you update those? So we've got smarter over the last few years, and actual fact, the trucks themselves do their own mapping. So we use the onboard software, the technology on the truck, and they'll actually map the face as they come in, and then we'll feed that back into the mine planning. So we... Now, one thing we do is, and this is where people need to be very, this comes again back to safety. You know, it's fine having a virtual world, but what we do is make sure the virtual world and the real world are aligned. If you're not careful, someone will just draw a line on a piece of paper or on a computer screen, and that may not be what reality is, and then you have a risk of an incident occurring. So we do a lot of double check make sure the virtual world and the real world are exactly the same. So these, when we talked earlier about processes, these are things we work very closely for our customers of how to take, you know, update the mine model, do these things and give them those skill sets to run an autonomous mine. 
The double check ties into Caterpillar's culture of safety. And you mentioned that you have the teams that go down there with your customers to properly and safely implement it. I'd love to know, what are some of the challenges with autonomy underground and how are you using technology to undercover these challenges, other situations where perhaps the LiDAR can't, can't see, it's too dark or it's too foggy? Are there, it seems like there'd be a lot of situations. I haven't really been in a deep mine, been in a little mine, but you know these mines that you see on TV are huge. Right. For underground mining, uh, there are different challenges compared to the surface. The nice thing about underground is you have night walls on each side of you, and we restrict people going to those areas. When we run automation underground, we, we actually put a physical barrier and then a, a electronic barrier across, so people can't get into those areas. So that's, that's how we do it underground. Uh, underground, obviously, we don't need, uh, we don't have access to GPS positioning, so we use actually LiDAR <laughs> then to, you know, know where we are and, and map the system. So we, we have different techniques. And then the real advantage of in underground automation is, you know, sometimes the, you know, the area may have be unstable. In one customer we work with, they get a lot of water, so you can actually mud. So it has a it can significantly have a significant impact on if that comes out of the roof. So it just gets the people out of those areas. And then the other big advantage of automation underground is it takes us every amount of time to get a people from the surface to underground. Right? If you can run the technology from the surface, then you can just as we talked before about the autonomous. Uh, surface trucks, you can just do shift change in the office versus having someone go physical all the way underground, uh, get out to the to the machine, and then go then get it running. So, huge advantage of, of automation automation available both in service and in uh, underground as well, and we do both. You mentioned the safety elements that you put in place in the mines. Can those mines operate with human-driven cat trucks and autonomous trucks in the same mine, or they're running on different parts or different locations inside the mine? Yeah, on a surface mine, we actually can do both. Um, it, when we first went to production, um, we actually did not do that. And it was not because of uh, technical capabilities. It was more around both safety and process. We really wanted the mining companies to, to get all the processes and ourselves develop all the processes around a fully autonomous operation. And the way to think of, the, of an autonomous mine is like air traffic control. You know, it, not just the autonomous truck, but every other vehicle inside that mine is fitted with high-precision GPS. And so we know where every other machine is. We know its path. Uh, if, that, if that live vehicle is going to get too close or gonna, to a autonomous truck, then the, the truck will react. So we know all that, that information. So we use that to, you know, really to, to manage that, those, those vehicles in, in that application. So coming back then to how do we actually can we run man and autonomous together, we don't, the reason we have sometimes concerns about running uh, man and Thomas together is not around, as I said, safety. It's just more around productivity. The Thomas trucks are more productive, more predictable, and so man does actually have some impact on the productivity of those trucks. But we have some customers who actually run both together in the same operation. We've always run uh, motor graders and water trucks and all those other machines, but we actually have the similar size trucks now can run. But as I said, Autonomous trucks are just so predictable, and the way I describe that, there's two ways. 
If you look at the ground and where a man truck, you'll see the treads all over, you know, in a 10, 20 foot area, you'll see tread marks everywhere. Autonomous trucks, the tread marks will be exactly the same place all the time. They are just so consistent. The other thing, and I you always use as an example of how consistent they are, and this is one I, too many times I go through an intersection, I see someone, they got their indicator on, you think they're gonna turn left or right, and they go straight. An autonomous truck, when he puts this indicator, it's gonna go left, it will go left, or if it goes, put its indicator, go right, it will go. So it's just, it is so consistent. So people know, that's another area why safety is, because they know the truck is gonna do the same thing every time. And that consistency is what contributes to safety. And it's also one of the reasons why when we get a man trucks in there, it can have some little bit of impact on productivity because uh, it can create some inconsistency in the operation. Is the consistency and the predictability how your autonomous truck customers can see up to a 30% boost in productivity? Yes, that's, that is the why. If you look at it, um, we talked earlier about how you get to that up to 30%, and it'll vary from customer to customer, but a lot of the productivity comes from, as we said earlier, between you know, lunch breaks, virtual shift change, and a good example of a virtual shift change is when I was getting the Thomas trucks up and running in Western Australia, you'd go down there and what would happen is the loading tool operator would be coming down the ladder off the loading tool, and that's still manned. The other operator would be walking up the ladder and the autonomous truck would be ready. So in just a, a couple of minutes, you would actually have the literally uh, start the next shift. And by doing that, you obviously can get significant productivity out of the system. We'd mentioned brakes before. So a lot of it comes from just getting more hours out of the trucks and getting more, and when you get more hours, you get more productivity. How about weight? Is there a weight limit to how much these trucks can haul? No, the limit, it's not the, the, uh, the autonomy technology. It's really it comes down to just the limitations of, you know, the trucks were, and traditionally the limitations on trucks are more around tires, um, capabilities because of heat buildup. So there's no limitation, that t you know, on the technology. It's, uh, that doesn't have any impact on what size truck we can run it on. Michael, you've shared incredible details, and I'm utterly fascinated about mining and autonomy. You've had this incredible, probably never going to be repeated again, 42-year run and counting at Caterpillar. I love to know from your perspective, what does the future of autonomous mining look like and what role do you expect Caterpillar to play in that future? I, always, I get asked this question a lot. And typically the question is, when do I think mine will be fully autonomous no people? And I say, <laughs> probably not in my lifetime. The other part, of, and I always think about, there's a cartoon that was created many years ago which shows a, a dog and a man and a, and a control lever on a mine. And the objective of the dog is to stop the man to, from touching the control lever. And the, person, the man's objective is to make sure that he feeds the dog. So taking that joke to one side, I think this is gonna be a journey. Um, you know, mining, and, and, why we view autonomy, it's an enabler for um, lean mining or actually more consistent mining. Think of mining very much like manufacturing, right? Um, by as manufacturing over the last 20 or 30 years put more control systems in, more automation than manufacturing operation. 
our autonomy is really that enabler for the mining companies. So we view this as a journey. Now, mining's more challenging than uh, a factory, right? The, the area may be 10 miles by 10 miles, 100 square miles of area you're looking at on a typical mine site. Uh, material's not consistent. You're out in the dust, minus the cold. But mining companies are trying to get a lot more factory, get a lot more lean into their mining processes. So it's, automation is just that enabler for it. It's not the end point. So we see this as a journey. Uh, we'll get more and more machines out there as, as both the customers have a business demand for it and as the technology changes. But there's no question that mining is going through a significant change and is leading in, in many ways compared to other industries in the use of uh, autonomous machines. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting. I'm not sure what it's going to look like and when it will look like, but it is definitely... Uh, I would love to be at the start of my career now instead of at the end of my career to just watch that journey occur. But you paved the way for younger individuals to have this journey. If it wasn't for your leadership and insight over these years, you could make the argument, we want to be here. And so, you know, from this conversation, I thank you for your leadership and, and bringing this technology to the forefront from a, from a science project to an R&D project to an actual commercialization. Because the listeners, I want to point out that Caterpillar is a business. This is not a science project for them. It's something that they generate revenue from, and they're doing a really great job for their customers and their shareholders. And Michael, as we look to wrap up this extremely insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them? I'd like them to take away that Caterpillar has been on a journey. Um, we, As you said, it's not a science experience. We're about improving the safety and productivity of our customers. That's that's what our whole business is about, making our customers give, us, give them the lowest cost per turn. And then... As we said earlier, we've moved you know three billion tons of materials safely with our fleet of autonomous truck, which is incredible. You know, every uh, day we go around the circumference of the Earth twice with that truck fleet. So it is just a tremendous uh, technical ch- uh, um, project, but a great you know it's, as I said, it's out there to actually help our customers become more profitable. And the last thing I would like to say is you know it just shows you the talent of Caterpillar's engineering, our talent within this organisation that. You know, we can do what we've done over many years with a great, talented engineering skill set. So, you know, just great that we've been able to do that. And as I said, do it in a, in a very safe manner. Not only in a safe manner, a highly scalable manner that's creating benefits for, for all parties. And as we've heard on this podcast, tomorrow is today, today is tomorrow, and Caterpillar is engineering the future. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much. It was great. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next by emailing us at podcast at SAE.org. That's podcast at SAE.org. And be sure to tune in next week to hear from Ford Motor Company's Ron Heiser, the chief engineer of the Mustang Mach-E, the all-new electric Mustang. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn to stay connected and continue the conversation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.